Hello! It's good to have you here. Thanks for joining us and clicking this button. I'm here. I'm Mariana, and I'm here with KJ today. Uh, I was told before the cameras got turned on, so every time the two of us get together, <laughs> there's a brief bit of fighting. But it's not a fight. It's more of a playful banter, and so I just feel like I should pick a fight again. No, this isn't fighting. This is playful no. banter, and so a. <laughs> A sermon, a good sermon, should feel kind of, kind of like, like a playful banter. Causing some tension. Causing tension that's healthy and brings people to have a great conversation. That's good. Conversation, right? I like and that. so the goal of today is to engage in playful banter there that brings go. us forward. And I'm so excited for today's sermon. Yes, Pastor Nate is here finishing our series on Crazy generosity, so I'm excited to hear his heart. So here it is. Enjoy. Well, hey, as we begin, let me go ahead and ask you guys a question. How many of you guys like watching those Hallmark Christmas movies that start airing around this time of the year? Uh, you can own that with pride, right? Nobody's judging you. Uh, next question, how many of you guys live with somebody who likes to watch those? Yeah, that, that's me, right? My wife, every year, she watches all of them. And honestly, I've always found that to be a little bit weird because from what I can tell, all of these movies basically have the same plot. You've got somebody who grew up in a small town and then they move away from the small town. They find success in the big city. They become rich. They become powerful. They become desirable, but then they come home for Christmas. And without fail, they always end up connecting with somebody that they grew up with, somebody who never left. And because there's nothing else to do in the small town, they spend time together. And as they spend time together, they begin to develop feelings for one another. But then inevitably something always happens. They realize it's not gonna work. And so they leave usually in anger and they go back to their life in the big city. But when they get there, they realize just how empty they are. How without this other person, they just don't find a lot of meaning and value in life. And so they make this decision to leave everything they've built, to give it all up, to quit their job and to move back to their small town and profess their love, usually in some kind of a dramatic way. And then they live happily ever after. Now, now I'm sure there's actually more plot lines to Hallmark movies than that, but in my limited observation, that's basically it. And for the longest time, it's bothered me, right? I, can't, I couldn't figure out why my wife and so many other people would waste so much time watching the same movie over and over again. Now, I spent a lot of time thinking about this and I'm glad I did because it helped me develop this theory. You see, I don't think people watch these movies because of the amazing stories or the amazing production or the Oscar-worthy acting performances. I think at the end of the day, millions of people are drawn to these movies because there's something in them that just feels real. Kind of like the way things should be. It's like there's this thing that we all yearn for, that we all want to experience. And these movies, they do a pretty good job at portraying it. It's this kind of love that would cause us to totally change the entire trajectory of our life in the pursuit of it. The kind of love that would cause us to abandon everything we thought we needed the kind of love that would cause us to reprioritize our lives. The, the kind of love that honestly is a bit crazy. So what does that have to do with today? Well, a couple weeks ago, we started this series called Crazy Generous. And we're gonna be wrapping that up today. And in this series, what we've been doing is we've been looking at this church in the city of Macedonia that Paul writes about in 2 Corinthians 8, 1 to 5. And the way that Paul describes this church, in a lot of ways, it kind of reminds me of the endings of these Hallmark movies. You see, there's this group of people who have totally altered the course of their lives and defied the expectations of everybody around them. And it was all because of this love that they felt for God. Check out what Paul has to say here in 2 Corinthians. He says this, now I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, what God in his kindness has done through the churches in Macedonia. They're being tested by many troubles and they're very poor, but they're also filled with abundant joy, which is overflowed with rich generosity. For I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more, and they did it of their own free will. They begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem. Right, so, so here we have this church. It's made up of this group of followers of Jesus who are incredibly poor. And yet this group, despite their present circumstances, they're exhibiting crazy acts of generosity. 
Now for anybody looking at them from the outside and, and maybe even for us as well, this would have been something that made no sense at all. Some might even call it irresponsible because people who can't afford to survive on their own typically aren't the ones who should be or are giving away everything they have. And yet that's exactly what we see happening here. And we got to ask, why is that? Why are they doing this? Well, as we talked about the last couple of weeks, there's actually a few reasons, right? So Stetson, when he kicked off this series, he talked about the, the reality that the Macedonians were able to do this, not because they willed themselves to do it. They were able to live this way because they weren't afraid of the future. They didn't have a fear of not having enough. They were secure knowing that God cared for them and that, that gave them the ability to give freely. And then last week, Pastor Allen talked about another thing that gave them the ability to do this. It was the joy they experienced when they were giving. You see, they had gotten to this place where they were able to see the bigger picture of what God was doing in the world, of how the kingdom was growing. And they saw how God was actually inviting them into being a part of this expanding kingdom, to being a part of the redemptive work he was doing here in this world. And this gave them the ability to give joyfully to that because they wanted to be a part of it. So as we close out this series today, there's one more thing I think we need to look at if we can understand, if we want to understand how we can actually begin to cultivate this kind of crazy generosity in our own lives. And I actually believe it's the foundation that everything else we've talked about is built on. And that's their love for God. You see, for the Macedonians, this love that they had for God, it caused them to totally reprioritize their lives, to redefine the things that mattered most to them. We actually see this in what Paul tells us in verse five. There he says this, they even did more than we hoped, right? So this is like everything Paul talked about in verses one to four, right? They did even more than we hoped for their first action was to give themselves to the Lord and to us, just as God wanted them to do, right? So, so Paul is telling us that the thing that gave the, the Macedonians the ability to be generous it was their absolute wholehearted love in which they gave themselves first to God. In other words, it was the way they prioritized their lives. They made sure that their first allegiance, their first affection, their first commitment, it was to God. You see what Paul knew and what the Macedonians experienced is that when this happens, it's gonna change the way that we live. It's gonna change the way that we see things. And ultimately it's gonna change the way that we view and use our resources. Now, I don't know if this is true for you, but whenever I read about this church, I kind of feel this lingering sense of shame and guilt. Because honestly, this description about that church, it feels like it is so far from where I am on most days. It kind of feels like this burden that's getting placed on me. I see their example and it just feels impossible to live up to. And maybe these last few weeks, you've felt that too. Now, I want to assure you that that's not what this is. That, that's not why we're doing this series. That's not why Paul is even telling us about this church. He's not trying to shame us or guilt us into giving more. Instead, he's upholding the Macedonians as this example of not what we can do when we try, but of what God can do through us when we choose to love him, when we choose to prioritize him. And I really believe that deep down, we all want what's said about the Macedonians to be said about us as well. So how do we get there? What can we actually do to change the trajectory of our life in this area of generosity? How do we become more like the Macedonians? Well, the answer is found right there in verse five. If we wanna live like the Macedonians, we have to start doing what the Macedonians did. We've gotta devote ourselves first to God to consider what we love most and to allow that love to then inform the way we live and the way that we give. In the gospels, Jesus actually says a few things that I think are really important for us to understand for us as we're on this generosity journey, right? Things that could help us understand what it looks like and how we're gonna step into it. Now, the first thing that I think we need to know that Jesus says is this, is that love, it's gonna cause us to reorient our priorities. It is. If you were with us a few months ago, when we did that series on the Sermon on the Mount, you'll probably recognize this passage. It comes out of Matthew six, but there Jesus says this, don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. 
For wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Now, I, I don't think any of us disagree with what Jesus is saying here, right? We know that our hearts are connected to our treasure or, or in other words, our, our money, right? So wherever our money is, that's where our hearts tend to gravitate. That's just how we're wired. And, and it kind of makes you wonder, why would Jesus say something that's so obvious? And honestly, I, I think it's probably because most of us have never actually taken the time to sit down and to think about where our hearts actually are. I mean, we might say it's in one place. We might even want it to be in one place, but it's almost as if Jesus is inviting us here to ask ourselves if what we think is true is actually true. Are our hearts aligned with the things of the kingdom or are they maybe a little more aligned with the things of the world? See, a great way to figure this out for yourself is to just take inventory of the time that you spend thinking about different things. You know, I, I actually did this last week and I'll, I'll be real, like I, di- I didn't like what I found. I realized that I actually might have a problem in this area, right? Every day I'm checking my retirement account to see how it performed. Once a week, I'm looking at my house on Zillow to see if the price went up or down, right? Never mind the fact that I'm not even thinking about selling my house. I, I know all of the expenses that we've made on our debit card and our credit card, right? Like I know where my money goes. But do you know what I don't think about as much? How our compassion kid that we've been sponsoring for eight years is doing. I don't think about the situation happening in his country. I don't think a whole lot about some of the nonprofits and the missionaries that we're supporting as a church. I don't think about how they're doing. You know, at the end of the day, I know that ultimately those kingdom things are way more important than my net worth. But if I'm honest, if I really take into consideration what Jesus is saying here and I apply it to my own heart, it shows that maybe my heart just isn't in the right place most days. And if that's you as well, like if you're like me, like I just want you to know, like I get it. We live in a world that is constantly telling us that our possessions and our money, that these are the things that give us security, that these are the things that can protect us. These are the things that give us hope. But what Jesus is saying here in the Sermon on the Mount is that all of these things that we have, no matter how good they might be, no matter how useful they might be, they can't actually deliver on any of the promises they've made us because they can't give us hope. They can't give us peace. They can't give us security. And Jesus is bringing this up here because he knows something that most of us miss. He knows that if the desires of our heart are connected to our resources, and if those resources can never actually give us the things that we need, by default, it means that we're going to miss out on what we actually need. And we, when we miss out on that, we're gonna miss out on the beauty of what this life could be. And Jesus, he, he doesn't want that for us. That, that's why he tells us to not store our treasures here on earth. He doesn't want us to be disappointed. He wants us to experience joy. He wants us to experience life. He wants us to know where our security and our hope truly are. They're with him. Right? This is why he calls us to place our treasure in heaven. And look, when he says that, he's not just talking about giving to a church. He's talking about investing in kingdom things. All those things that Pastor Allen talked about last week that we're doing as a church, those are kingdom things. Sponsoring a kid through compassion to provide them with food and healthcare and education, that is a kingdom thing. Like our hearts need to be aligned with that. That's what Jesus is calling us to. Now, again, none of this is about shame or guilt for not doing enough. It's not. This is an invitation to begin experiencing the joy of generosity by living with a different metric than the world around us. Ultimately, we've got to have a love that is rooted in God. We've got to have a commitment to him first, right? This is going to be the game changer. This is going to be the thing that drives it. And the Macedonians, they understood this. Their love for God superseded the love that they had for the things that were around them in this world. 
You see that the Macedonians, they were focused on the things that God was doing. They saw the kingdom growing. They saw this opportunity to partner with a church in Jerusalem that was expanding the kingdom. And because of this love that they had for God, they began to love the things that God was doing. And so when they saw what God was doing, they just wanted to partner. They just wanted to hop in. And it was that love that was driving it. That's the kind of life that I wanna live. I do. I want everything I do to align with this love and this commitment that I've made to God first in my life. You know, there's this other thing that Jesus says about love that I think we've also got to wrestle with. And that's this reality that love involves sacrifice. You know, there's a passage in the gospel of Mark where Jesus is there with his disciples at the temple. And there was a moment where he saw this perfect opportunity to teach them about generosity. And it wasn't just generosity that he wanted to talk about. He also wanted to talk to them about their hearts. Let me give you a little background before we look at this passage, just so you have some context. In the, in the temple, which is where the story takes place, there were these collection boxes that were spread all around the temples so that people could come and give gifts that would support the work of the temple. And, and giving back then, it wasn't this private thing like we do today where you give online or with an envelope. This was a public spectacle. Everybody knew what everybody else was giving. And so when you would go to the temple and you wanted to make an offering, you would take it And sometimes this would be a lot, right? Because they didn't have debit cards. If you were carrying coins, there were a lot. And you would then go and put it into this box in the full view of everybody who was there. Now, as you can imagine, this practice, it became a source of pride and arrogance for a lot of different people, specifically the wealthy. And there was this idea that began to develop there that the people who gave the most, so in this case, the wealthy, they were the ones who were the most generous, right? That's what people believed. But Jesus, he actually had a different perspective. This comes out of Mark 12. It says that Jesus sat down near the collection box in the temple and he watched as the crowds dropped in their money. Many rich people put in large amounts. Then a poor widow came and dropped in two small coins. right, so here we have two groups of people. There are the rich who were giving a lot of money. And then you've got this poor widow who represents the other group. That would be the poor. And she gave just a little bit of money. Now, from an outside perspective, as people, we're inclined to think that the bigger gift is more valuable than the smaller gift, right? That's what we think. And just like the people back then, we ultimately think that it's the size of the gift that really matters, right? That that's the thing that makes something valuable. But Jesus, remember, he's got a different perspective. And we see that in what he says next. It says that Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I tell you the truth. This poor widow has given more than all the others who are making contributions for they gave a tiny part of their surplus, but she, poor as she is, has given everything she had to live on. Jesus is giving us a different perspective than the world when it comes to understanding what generosity really is. He looks at the sacrifice of this poor widow and says that what she gave is worth more than anything else that the wealthy gave. In fact, it wasn't just worth more, like it was worth more than all of that stuff combined. Why? Like it's smaller. Shouldn't the bigger gift matter more? Well, we gotta remember, Jesus isn't looking at this through the world's lens. He's looking at this through a kingdom lens. You see, in the world, we give value to something because of its size, but in the kingdom, the value of a gift, it's, it's not in what's given, it's in what's being held back. You see the rich, they were only giving a small part of their surplus, right? A small part of this extra income they had. By the time they went to the temple, they had already paid for their house and their food and their vacations, their entertainment, their toys, and whatever else that they wanted. And after all of that stuff was paid for, they just took a small part of what was left over and then they gave that to the temple. Now that number was still big, it, it was, right? There's no denying it. But in comparison to what they had, next to what they kept, it was nothing. And then you've got this poor widow who literally has nothing. And she takes the last two coins that she owns and she drops them into that box. She held nothing back. And that's what Jesus celebrates. 
it wasn't the millionaires and billionaires who were giving tens of thousands of dollars away. It was this poor widow who gave a penny. Now, a, a lot of times, I know that we just move past this passage quickly, right? And maybe it's because it makes us uncomfortable or, or maybe we just don't see its relevance and how we're supposed to apply it to our lives. But I think it's actually important that we pause here for a moment and sit with it and actually consider what Jesus said. The large gifts that come from our excess don't mean as much as the small gifts that were a sacrifice. Think about that. I mean, with what Jesus said here, it, it makes me think that God doesn't actually care about the amount, the amount of money that we give. Right? He doesn't care with how generous we are like in the eyes of the world. Truthfully, I don't think it means anything to him. He doesn't need it. He's not impressed with big numbers. At the end of the day, he doesn't even care about big numbers because he's not after our money. What he really wants is our hearts. He wants us to love him first. And just like Jesus said there in the Sermon on the Mount, our money shows where our hearts really are. Now, now please hear me when I say this. Jesus is not saying that we need to give everything up. He's not saying that we need to neglect caring for ourselves and the people who are around us. He's not saying that we shouldn't have nice things, right? There is nothing wrong with any of that. There is nothing wrong with blessing people and having great experiences. Those are all things that God wants us to enjoy. Like, I really believe that. But what Jesus is saying is that at the end of the day, even if we have all of those things, we should have this heart posture that's willing to give all of it up at a moment's notice if that's what he's calling us to do. He wants us in a place where we're not willing to withhold anything from him, where we're not trying to separate what's his and what's ours, but instead getting to a place where we see everything we have as already being his. You know, when I look at my life, especially when it comes to this area of generosity, I, I don't always like what I see. And in recent weeks, I've spent a lot of time thinking about why there's a gap between what I want to do and what I actually do. And I've realized what the problem is, right? It's not that I have a generosity problem, right? We covered that in week one. We're all generous. We all give everything away by the time we die, right? So it's not a, it's not a generosity problem. It's a love problem. And look, that's not to say that I don't love God because I do. I'm just saying that when I look at my life, like when I really look at my life, I'm not always loving him first. I'm not always giving myself to him first. I'm not always committed to him first. And I think that's why there's always such a disconnect between what I see in the Macedonians and what I experience in my own life. I'm not loving God first. And that leads me to believe that the answer to this whole generosity thing it's not trying to be more generous. It's not. I think it's actually a lot simpler than that. And honestly, it's a lot more life-giving than that. You see, at the end of the day, the thing that I need is this, is I need to fall more in love with Jesus. I need to spend more time with him to look at the beauty and the wonder of who he is, to take joy in the fact that he looked down and he chose me, that he continues to choose me, to dwell on the reality that he loves me. Because I know that when I do these things, I won't help but be able to fall more in love with him. And when he is my first love, when I have given myself first to him, he is gonna be the one that I prioritize. The things he is doing, those are gonna be the things that draw my heart towards them. The things he cares about will become the things that I care about. And that's when I'm gonna start being, stop being afraid of the things that I don't have. That's when I'm gonna begin to experience joy, right? That, that's when generosity, it's not gonna become a chore and a thing I have to do. It's gonna become this easy thing that I get to do. Church, generosity, right? Generosity, the way that Jesus talked about it. Generosity, the way that these Macedonians experienced it. We've gotta remember that it's not about what God wants from us. It's actually about what God wants for us a lack of fear, 
joy, our hearts being fully united to him, that is what he wants. Let's pray. You know, as we uh, spend a few moments here in, in silence with the Lord, there's a few things that I want to invite you just to ask him. A few things I want you to invite him into to just help you see where your own heart is at. And, and so the, the first question I want you to ask is, is this, is like, Lord, where's my heart? Am, am I loving you first? Have I given myself fully to you? Are you the one who is the center of my affection? Allow the spirit to speak to you and to show you. another question to ask the Lord. Ask if there's something that's holding you back from giving him everything right now. Are you holding anything back? And are there some kingdom things that you are uniquely positioned to help with that God is inviting you to be a part of? Father, we want our hearts to be for you first. We want you to operate that in, the, in that like first position in terms of like where our affection goes. And so Father, I ask that before you make us generous, that you cause us to fall more in love with you. Would you open our eyes so that we could see the beauty and the wonder of who you are? And Father, would we be overwhelmed by that? Would we begin to love you first and would we begin to love the things that you love? Not so that generosity happens, but so that we experience that freedom and that joy and that hope that you alone can give. And Father, as this happens, would you cause us to become more generous? Not as a thing that we do, but as a thing that you do through us and in us. I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. All right, everybody. It's time for us to go into our, our fun time, kind of just talking about things inspired by today's sermon. It can also be in the sermon or before the sermon, um, but it's just... Um, a goal to to be able to unpack some things and go forward. And so um, here's here's something that I have to ask before I go forward in the the thought process that, that I have. So if so if someone like summarized the whole sermon and they're like here's the point. Mm. The big thing I got from it had been put God first. So is that the like key point or yeah no for sure like 100 i think it is right because like when we talk about generosity so often we start with the end goal right like so like you look at the macedonian church you're like oh look at all this stuff they did okay i need to start going and doing all that stuff but it's like well no like they actually fell in love with god first and then all that stuff just kind of happened like i think about my relationship with my wife uh i take her flowers i take her on dates like how I, often though not as often as I should. We got four little kids. How often but, do you do these things? Uh, probably, probably about like once, twice a month. Don't put me on <laughs> spot. But like, so is she actually first? No, That's why you're here. <laughs> no, but like, okay, hypothetically, when you don't have four kids and do foster care, um, <laughs> don't give me a hard time, KJ. I'll ask you questions. It, it's okay. <laughs> but the, so the point is like, out, man, you do things. Or, or I take the kids out right. to give her space right. and to just be alone. Like, I don't, 
I don't have this list of like, here's all the stuff I have to do for my wife because apparently that's what you do when you love somebody. As if I need to convince her to do this. It's like, no, like I love my wife. Uh So I just do all this stuff. Like it just kind of flows naturally. So like I'll take the kids out and give her four hours. Like she's going to Nashville next week for a whole week to go hang out with my sister. And for me, it's a no brainer. It's like, I love you. Like I, I want to do this for you. And so it's a want to versus a have to. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. So, yes, well, one hundred percent. So take that concept. And here is here is the, the thing I was thinking about. Um, so if God is first, and I have a hard time kind of even like thinking of, of quantifying God yeah. and giving God a place, mm-hmm. uh, because the example that you brought up of of like storing up treasures in heaven so so saying Mm -hmm. putting heaven first the things of heaven first Mm -hmm. um and and there's like this there's like this feeling i have that the ah man so if the thing i'm doing if, if i'm seeing god as being this quantifiable um, okay, I give to God first, then after I give to God, then I have blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. So I've heard that all growing yep. up. Mm. But there's this, this like participating in God first and always yeah. type of, so if you, if you participate in the generosity of God, there, there isn't, the second, third, fourth, fifth, and sixth. Exactly. It's, you're doing it. Well, yeah, and it's it's like, mm. you get to this place where you go, all of this is his. Yes. And I said that. That's what, yeah, yeah, yeah. So like, I think, you know, to go back to my family for a second, like, I've got my wife, I've got my four kids, like everything I have is theirs. Right. And the things that my kids want to do, like, I love my kids. I'm like, I'm going to go do that. And some of these things are things where I'm like, if I didn't love my kids, I probably wouldn't want to do this stuff. Right. You know what I mean? Like go swimming at the Funplex four times a week. But because I love my kids, Man, I love the things they love. You have to love, love your kids to do that. And I do it. You know <laughs> what I mean? And I, honestly, I think the same that thing is true with the kingdom. Like when we, when we <laughs> love so God, weird. it really begins to change the affections of our heart yeah. to where these things that he loves and these things he cares about, we actually start to care about those things too. And that's, that's what love does. So it's not like this hierarchical, okay, God gets this and then I get this. It's like, no, like God, like you have all of me and I love you. And so I'm going to bring all of me to this. And that doesn't mean I can't do other stuff, but it's like, that's not why I'm doing it. I'm doing this for you. Yeah. And so it's, so it's, it's like, there's mm-hmm. like, there isn't the generous checkbox Mm-mm. that you do first. Uh-huh. It, it's this experience of, of being side by side and that's going to impact the second, third, fourth, fifth, and should I? Uh-huh. Well, and that's, and that's honestly why it all comes back to love, right? Because if we don't love God in that way that the Macedonians did, right? If we, if we don't do really what Jesus even talked about, it's like, that's what it's going to become, right? So if we never get to that core kind of baseline level of like, where are our hearts actually in this? It's not about what we do. It's like, where's our heart? Because our heart impacts everything else that happens. Mm. So... So, so is that they're they're a perspective problem? I mean, mm-hmm. so as the sermon kind of ended, you talked about like the order problem and stuff like that. But but is there a perspective problem of seeing the places that God is and the places that God that He isn't? Mm-hmm. And if someone can say He isn't in that. There has to be a perspective problem. You mean discerning, like what's a what's a kingdom thing? What is a personal? Yeah, because it's technically all a kingdom thing. Because so if I go to the grocery store to buy food, that's a kingdom thing, and how I buy food, and the things I buy, and the just like everything could potentially be this contemplative practice of participating in the gospel and the kingdom. Well, this makes me actually think about Mm. something that you taught on, golly, it must've been like a year, a year and a half ago when you were talking about trying to buy something on Facebook Marketplace. Oh man. And you were gonna do, you remember this? (laughs) You you were gonna haggle. You're like, oh, I gotta haggle. I gotta get this thing way cheaper. But then like, you had this conviction where you're like, but 
this person needs that. Right. Oh, it that's was a, the sermon on stealing. Yes, yes. that's a kingdom yes. thing. for the value yes. of something compared yeah. to trying to get the best that deal. A that's a kingdom one. thing. Exactly. Yeah. And mm. so is paying f- someone the value of something, participating in the gospel, and is that giving to God? I would say it is participating in the gospel, Honoring. right? Yeah. It says pay, pay a laborer their fa- fair wages. Right. You know what I mean? So like, and again, this is this yeah. is this whole perspective shift that we have because if if we've got this, all right, God, you might get a little bit here, kind of like those rich people in that example Jesus gave with the poor widow, yep. um, then we are going to try to take advantage of people and situations and store up a whole lot of stuff. But if we've got this other heartbeat, much more like the widow, it's like, man, I'm going to hold it all with an open hand and yep. God, you are here and mm-hmm. God, you are present and you're moving and this kingdom is literally invading this earth. And however I steward my resources, that's an opportunity to advance the kingdom. And so whether it's giving to a church or giving to a homeless person or whether it's sponsoring a kid through compassion or whether it's just buying ethically sourced food, like all of this is a way to advance the kingdom mm-hmm. because the kingdom is here. I love what you guys are saying. It it's great things to think about, but I want to say something. This this whole concept of giving, giving value to the thing and to the people, I think there's a there's a principle of honor mm-hmm. too that plays into this and honoring the people and, and humility. I think the disconnect is when you put yourself above or more deserving or whatever of other mm-hmm. people or or things and and being humble to give the value to others and to to things in the sense of like the the stealing concept i will pay what this is worth i don't know i'm just thinking in the whole searching of the heart you know is my heart honoring of of things and people and valuing things and people in addition to yes loving and giving honor to god himself yeah. But that also spilling out to giving honor. Does that tie into how Jesus says, whatever you do to the, the right. least of these you do to me? Yeah. Yes. And so tying that into putting God first, giving to God, how it's been so pigeonholed yep. towards mm. this. Um, I'm going to quantify if someone's generous by how they give to the church. To, mm-hmm. can I quantify if someone's generous? To, do they embody and exude a generous heart, a generous personality, a yes. generous... What? Every, uh, is a person generous? Or is, so, so is someone generous so if they check the charity box so that they get the tax benefit? Is that yeah. generosity? I don't know. I mean, right. I do that. But. Well, and I, I think Jesus already kind of answers that though, right? You know, you look at the rich people who are given, they gave out of that surplus, they could check the box and Jesus is like, right. next to what she gave, it's nothing. You know, and, and for us, I go like, all right, so, you know, Jesus says, invest in the kingdom, store your treasures in the kingdom, in heaven, right? Those uh-huh. words are kind of interchanged between the gospels, depending on which one you read. But man, one of the best ways to figure out what that is, is like, let's just search the gospels and go, okay, God, who's your heart for? Yep. It is for those who are hurting. It is for people to know about your son, Jesus. It it is to make right the things that are wrong in this world. Mm -hmm. And so whatever we can do to be a part of that and to invest our resources into that, like I'd go like, man, that's investing in the kingdom. Like I I believe it is. So being someone who's like big into investments and that's something that you do, right? Um, It is very fun. It's very exciting to find companies that they are going to pay big dividends there on the investments that that you are putting in. That's kind of like a part of the fun of it, right? Um, Compared to picking companies and things that you pour a ton of cash and that that then they go down and there isn't any of the outcome that. And thinking about about investing in heaven Mm-hmm. and investing in the things of heaven and the attributes of heaven. And there's this idea that heaven is dying to break through here on earth, yeah. mm-hmm. and you get to invest in that. Mm-hmm. 
And the church is a really good, tangible investment that pays high dividends in heaven. Explain, I mean, like, I'm just like, I, I feel like I'm touching on something that yeah. I can't really articulate. Well, and, and I mean, Jesus talks about that, right? Like where he's like, look, the, the things that we typically invest mm. in, right? You know, the, the stuff that he would talk about, this is all the stuff the rich listed off. Yeah. Like it's your, you know, um, basically your temporary security, right? Mm-hmm. right? So nice house, nice car, good education. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but like we all die. Really? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like we're, we're going to, yeah. none we're of that die. stuff goes with Sorry. us. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And mm-hmm. it doesn't matter how much you have in a, 401k or how much you have in a bank account or how big your house is or how many houses you own, like you, you still die. Right. None of that stuff goes with you. And Jesus says, but you have an opportunity to make an investment that actually will echo through the eternities in the way that you love people, in the way you care for people, in the way that you step in and create a better world for people and help people experience that goodness too so that they could step into that as well. Yep. It's like, mm-hmm. yeah, that, that, that's, that's a much better dividend. Right. And, Nate, I know that you, I just, we, we know you as a human being yes. beyond that we know you as a pastor and right. we know your heart. And you briefly mentioned here how you and Jillian are, you know, in the foster uh, parents journey and mm. you come from a very difficult childhood. I just would love to hear a little bit more like of your personal like how have you seen this playing practically or maybe even when you were in a place of difficulty Ooh, maybe in your childhood has generosity been shown to, to you, you to bring you oh here? my gosh yeah so a uh, great example my uncle right they had gotten their two older sons out of the house they had this kind of financial plan for their future and they said we're set we're good we're you know, late forties, we get to live the good life now. Mm. And then my mom got sick and my dad left and uh, they decided to be generous by opening their home and saying, we're gonna do this thing, not for you or not for us, but we're gonna do it for you. Now on the flip side, they could look back and be like, but man, that thing that we did for you, it also ended up being really good for us right? Because we got two more sons with me and my brother. We got all these extra grandkids. Like we got to know about ourselves. We got to experience life with you. But, but that all began with a moment of saying, it's you before me. Hmm. So your uncle welcomed you. Yeah. And, oh, and I think about house. the financial cost of that, uh-huh. the sacrifices they had to make of time. Like he's still working. I mean, I think they retired this year, so that's going to be nice. But it's like he could have retired like 10 years ago if he wanted right. had they not made a decision to say, hey, we're going to step back from chasing this thing we want so that we mm. can do what you need. Mm. And what was beautiful is the thing I needed ultimately became the thing that they wanted. Mm. That's amazing. Yeah. The cool thing is, guys, like uh. that happens every day. Like we all have the ability to do that and not – everything is going to be as drastic as bringing two, you know, kids under the age of 10 into your home. But like, we, we can all provide for somebody's need. We could all say no to something we want to say yes to something that somebody desperately needs. And that thing could literally be the thing that makes all the difference on the trajectory of the life they're living. I mean, I think about the Macedonians, their generosity to the church in Jerusalem. That's what helped them survive. Had they not done that, like who knows what would have happened there, but they did. And we've seen the fruit of that. We're sitting here right now because of the fruit of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, do you think um, of a time, and I, I'm putting you on the spot, and I'll bring you into KJ, <laughs> of something that you experienced in blessing somebody and it, it was painful. Like you really felt <laughs> you felt it when you gave it whatever it was. I'm just thinking of what's the. What if we turn that around and you and ask you that question? <laughs> well, I was the one curious about this. <laughs> I I don't know, and maybe there's no answer. It's something for us to ponder. You know, have we experienced a time where we really felt the? You know, I'm okay. I'm gonna I get the value of that. It's the Uh giving sacrificially Uh question. And I think someone could go go off kind of all on the idea. I think the 
and I validate that. There's a lot of good, good stuff there. Uh-huh. I think the the question I'm very, very interested uh-huh. in is the question that points to the joy and the dividends of mm-hmm. giving. Yeah, it's the have you ever given and felt great joy? Mm-hmm. Um, because it's so often it's pointed at the sacrificial giving and well, test God, test God, test God. Uh, but I'm very interested in the. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Tell me a story of. Well, dude, I got you one. Know? Yeah, I got let's one. Do it. My daughter Ryan. So when I met my wife, she was a single mom. Uh, I was a youth pastor down in Colorado Springs, right? And I'd planned to be single for the rest of my life. I'm like, whatever, cool. I was happy with that. Then I met her and I fell in love and I'm like, all right, like we're going to get married and I'm going to adopt this girl. And you guys have kids, you know, the financial liability of that. Uh, You guys also know what it's like to sacrifice dreams sometime. Um, But for me, like from the moment I met this girl and stepped into this relationship and said, I'm going to give of myself to you. It has been nothing but joy, KJ. Like I could not imagine my life without her and without her being my daughter and a part of my story. And it's like, that that's what generosity i think in its truest form is mm-hmm. okay so hold that piece hold that piece and apply it to the father's perspective mm-hmm. yeah for their children uh-huh. god's perspective for us yeah do you see what i'm saying and yep. the joy that is had in both parts well, yeah, yeah. And, and that that's the whole thing. Yeah. It's it's we don't have to do this. Like it, it wasn't that like I met Jillian. It's like I have to adopt her daughter now. She has to become my daughter now. At least in the sense of like obligation. It was like I get to do this. Yes, this is amazing. And I, yeah, and and I think I, I asked the question because of that's where my heart goes is. And we talked about this a couple of days ago that I love when Pastor Allen uses this definition that generosity is not something God wants from us. It's something He wants for us. Because of this, it's not about, wow, look at how sacrificially I gave and priding myself in it. But what an incredible experience and fruit this has been in your life and the and the level of love that you have experienced for Jillian and for Ryan and um the the freedom and all all that we exp- the joy when you're willing to step into that place well, which is not easy i'm not saying this because oh i totally get it and i do it all the time but because of yeah how powerful well, and, it is and there's a part of me that wonders and i've i've got to flesh this out more but like if we're not experiencing that are we actually being generous you know what I mean? Like just oh, yeah. to sit with and go like, all right, so if we've got like this biblical ideal of what generosity is with this Macedonian church, if we've got God the Father and we see the generosity he has and the joy he gets from it, mm-hmm. it's like, man, if we're not feeling that, we're missing something That's pretty big. That's what I'm big. saying, man. I think there's like this proverbial checkbox. Mm-hmm. And if there's that checkbox of I'd give to God first and then after that, it, it can't mm-hmm. be God's first. It's... There's just God. Well, and, and that's you know what I mean. Like that's where I'm like, I'm just like, be, be, because then if he's first, that there's a second, second that he isn't, and so then in the spots he isn't, I then like I can't experience yes. this. Well, and that's why I never said yeah. give to God first or anything. Right. I said we love God first because the reality is when we love God first, oh, that's good. We get consumed with it, and then that love that God has for us then begins to pervade into everything else we do. Yeah. So it's not a it's not a we give there first. It's like no, we love him first, because if we can't get that, we get everything else wrong. Yeah, I I bring that up from a perspective of that's how all yeah. of us grew yeah. up, right? You give right. that first. You give that yes. first. You got the ten, well, the, ten, and eighty. You know, Dave like, Ramsey, yeah. eighty, ten, ten. Right. And and look, like I'm not saying that's a bad thing. Right? No, there's actually a lot of wisdom the heart in that. Posture. But, like if that's our only goal to get to a place where we do that, it's like I, I think we're missing the bigger picture because if. The Father is our model for generosity. Yeah. He literally held nothing back from us. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he sent Jesus to the cross, like his right. only son. So it's like, okay, 
So I got to spend more time with you because that's what I want to be true for me. Yeah. And so it's not, here's my check boxes. And that's why the sermon even ended where it did. It's like, the answer is not be more generous. It's spend more time with Jesus. Right. Fall more in love with him. Because when you do that, that's going to change everything. Because the, the goal is to come to a place that you don't have a time you don't spend. Mm-hmm. It's like the, the carving out a time to be with Jesus. That's like practice to to extend that time to always. The, yes. Well, and that's you know? even one of the values of our mm-hmm. church, right? We want to do all things with Christ. Oh, well it's, done. Yeah, well bring done. It in. Man, but it's, Pastor Allen is pumping his <laughs> fist right but now. But it's, it's, it's really yeah. true. Like, how, yeah. how do we live everything with Jesus? Right. Yeah. To where, and, and that's a part so, of... So it's like going to, to the store, buying food. There he Jesus. is. He's yeah. picking out your coffee. There he is. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, he's saying, don't buy those hot dogs. It's pork. It's bad for you. Gotta be kosher. <laughs> no, but it's, yeah. it's your pots and your pans and the clothes you buy. And it's just, mm-hmm. he is there by your side and two of you and are doing Truth be told, together. like when we, when we really mm-hmm. do this, yeah. it gets uncomfortable from a worldly perspective, but from a kingdom perspective, it gets really stinking exciting. Like it does. And that's the joy of being generous and being open to all things and it's the lack of fear i'm not afraid of what i'm not going to have yeah my father's got me yeah okay so so our conversation here has been huge it's been been a lot of time but that final statement uh it's so it inspired something i've been a part of i'm i'm very big on on our our public properties the forest systems and things that are owned by the public so so i have a shirt that says public land (laughs) public land Owner? owner and like people are first like um, perplexed by that, um, like, how are you a public landowner? I'm like, I'm the public, and I own the forests, and it's like I'm entitled. Oh, I'm going to start bawling because I'm really passionate. About it. Like, so I technically I own thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of brilliant public property acres all over the the country. It's mine, but people can say, well, it's technically owned by the public. And I think like, like heaven and the things of God and the inheritance of, I mean, all of that. It's like, this is all ours. You just got to own it mm-hmm. and be a kingdom owner. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you yeah. know what I mean? Like there's something about like, so I own this. Mm-hmm. This is mine. And I'm going to defend it. I'm going to fight for it. I'm going to encourage it. I'm going to show people. I'm going to pass out the shirts that say kingdom owner um, because this is our thing. And I got kind of inspired by that. Like just say, anyway, so. Yeah. I need one of those shirts really when good. you make them. <laughs> anyway, that's fun. Well. Okay. So everyone, uh, thank you um, for being here, for hanging in there and for participating. Anticipating the things that I'm hoping for as far as this conversation goes, that it's the beginning um, compared to the end. Yeah. Um, so yep. th- there are things that you're inspired by, things you're, you're doing or have done or going to do. Uh, please tell us. Um, that would be awesome. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. So that being said, it's over. Have an incredible time. Have fun. Have a good See rest ya. of your day. <laughs>